Welcome to the Empowered Eating and Living Podcast, where we dive into your inner world to explore all of the psychological, emotional, energetic, and spiritual components that may be influencing your struggle with food and eating. I'm your host, Sarah Emily Spears, a trained psychotherapist and energy worker who recovered from my own eating disorder. And now I help women just like you do the inner work to address the real issues keeping you stuck in your problematic eating patterns. Because I assure you, your problem with food is about way more than food. So join me and guest experts as we discuss the psychology of eating and healing and empower you with tangible steps you can take today to begin to improve your relationship with food and yourself from a place of true nourishment and care. Heather Russo is the Chief Clinical Officer at Alsana, which is a residential treatment program for eating disorder recovery. She's responsible for nurturing the growth and success of clinical treatment teams and strengthening the therapeutic approaches used, which includes cognitive behavioral therapy, motivational interviewing, dialectical behavioral therapy, and compassion-focused therapy, which is a method proven effective in shame reduction and trauma treatment. Heather holds a master's in clinical psychology with an emphasis in marriage and family therapy and is certified as an eating disorder specialist supervisor. Today, Heather and I talk about Alsana's treatment program, their treatment philosophy, and we address some of the misconceptions that people may have about residential treatment programs so that you can get informed and discover if this type of treatment may be right for you given where you're at in your healing journey. Hi, Heather. Welcome. Thank you so much, Sarah. I'm excited to chat with you today. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. So for everyone who's meeting you for the first time, Heather is the Chief Clinical Officer at Alsana, which is a holistic residential treatment center for eating disorders. And you guys have centers, I believe, in a few locations across the country, but also in Southern California, which is how I first learned about Alsana. And I'm excited to have you here because I really want to introduce my audience to the world of more residential treatment programs for eating disorders. And you are the perfect person to tell us all about it. Yeah. Thank you for having me here. I love nothing more than to talk about eating disorder recovery and mental wellness. And so I'm, um, I'm pumped just to have the opportunity to to chit chat with you about it and then also be hopefully somewhat informative to folks that are curious about what this all means and looks like. Yeah, because I've encountered that where a lot of people either don't realize the sort of support is available or they have misperceptions around what the support looks like. So it'll be nice to actually give them accurate information straight from you rather than have people either lost or confused. Yeah. And there are a lot of different, I mean, just like anything else, right? In healthcare, there are a lot of different kinds of options and there's, um, different sort of formats and feels to different kinds of uh, treatment programs or residential centers. And so you can kind of talk through all that today. Sounds great. So before we do, I would love to just get a little bit more of an introduction for you and you can share as much as you want about either your professional experience or even how you got into this work. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So um, my name is Heather Russo. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist here in California. Um, I serve as also as chief clinical officer um, and have been in this position for a couple of years. Um, prior to joining Alsana, I've been with a few different treatment programs, um, offering residential treatment, day treatment, and IOP. And so, yeah, I've been, you know, sort of in this industry for 16 plus years. 
Um, and I love it and uh, never tire of, of being in this industry or talking about it. Um, I got into the treatment of eating disorders in large part because I've, you know, sort of early in life, even sort of mid, um, uh, early adulthood, saw a lot of folks who I found to be otherwise so uh, inspirational, high-functioning, articulate, interesting, well-traveled or well-versed, really crippled by their relationship with food or the relationship with their body, people that are near and dear to me, people out, you know, sort of in the community. And I found that to be really curious, you know, how could uh, folks who I found to be so lovable and likable um, and want to be around be so sort of uh, shame ridden or conflicted or afflicted with the relationship with food and body. And so thus began my career. There was a job opening in a uh, inpatient unit, locked inpatient eating disorder unit, um, relatively near my house. And I called them up and just found a, a great fit there and loved every minute of that really, really challenging work. Um, and so that kind of set me off in a trajectory. That was my first eating disorder job that set me off in a really beautiful trajectory where I recognized that the folks that were uh, working in the treatment field were my people. Um, being able to connect with the, the folks that we were serving really brought me a lot of joy, even though it's really, really difficult work and doesn't, um, doesn't always turn out the way you want it to. But I uh, have really enjoyed my career with that and have really enjoyed being with Alsana um, and being able to, to grow this program clinically. Wow. Thank you so much for all of the work you've done supporting this community over the years. And it is really interesting, isn't it? How, I mean, my experience was also the same, you know, on the outside, successful and achiever and everyone thinks I'm happy and there's no problem. And then, you know, behind closed doors, this is something I wrestled with for many years in my twenties. And so there is this shame and the secrecy that can really shadow um, eating disorders and a lot of people don't realize how many other people are maybe also struggling. I'm curious if you ever, you know, as you got curious about that, did you have any realizations as to why that was happening? It's a really good question. So I still, I still grapple with it, right? So there's part of, you know, in at Alsana, we use a compassion focused therapy lens to make sense of our clinical work and, and our, our client struggles. And so what I know now is that there's an evolutionary biopsychosocial lens that we can use to make sense of it all. You know, our, um, our socially comparing minds come, you know, when we come by that, honestly, that's just part of evolution and our need to be, um, accepted by others in our tribe, you know, that's really important evolutionarily too. I think at the time, my most striking revelation, I think early, early on in early days of treatment, um, was this notion, you know, cause I grew up in, in diet culture um, that, oh, thin doesn't equal happy. You know, that was the first time where it was very, very clear to me, like some of the thin, I mean, you know, rail thin people that I would be seeing cachectic in nature, obviously were not happy. Even folks that were in what would appear to be um, sort of average BMI or average build bodies that one from the outside would think, well, gosh, you know, they must be at least satisfied with their body. You know, they weren't. And so it was just this sort of like, well, wait a second, like diet, diet culture, has permeated all that I know and believe. And yet maybe it's time to start questioning the, um, the reality of all of that. And so that to me, as a, you know, a young woman in my early twenties, that was, uh, mid twenties, let's be honest, <laughs> really, uh, really impactful. And I think it sent me on a path of self-discovery with my own, you know, food and body issues and making sense of the world around me and, 
Um, yeah, I just, I, I really value that early lesson. I want people to make sure they heard that, that thinner does not equal happier. And so many of us walk around comparing ourselves to everyone else, assuming they're happy in their bodies and, oh, I would do anything to look like them. And and we don't know what anyone's dealing with internally or mentally. And so usually, you know, that's not a fair assumption to make. And it it only hurts us when we think that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the proliferation of social media gets a lot of, um, gets a lot of criticism. And I think for, for, for good reason in some respects, and also we're seeing a lot of body body positivity out there. We're seeing a lot of um, the embrace of fat bodies and of, uh, you know, various body shapes and sizes and colors. And so you know, gosh, I, I love that there's a movement right now to recognizing that we can be happy in our bodies. We can be happy about our bodies. We can accept our bodies, uh, even if it doesn't look like the cover of In Shape magazine. Um, there are multiple images that we can turn to that represent feeling healthy and strong. And, um, you know, even what, you know, even questioning healthism and, and looking at all just the, the variety of different, you know, um, human presentations that we can accept and cherish. Absolutely. I agree. There is exposure now to such diversity, which feels like is a beautiful balance to maybe the more superficial, you know, body edited images that we've seen historically. So it does give me hope that we're able to really empower everyone to truly learn to love and accept themselves. So with Elsana, you mentioned a bit about compassion is like a foundation. And I'm curious if you could explain a bit more about what that means for people who have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that'd be my pleasure. So um, I'll start real sort of macro and then get, get more granular. So, you know, mental health treatment really lags behind medical treatment, right? So we as an industry are still fairly new. Um, and then when you get more specific to eating disorder treatment, that's like a baby, baby field in the grand scheme of things. Um, so we have some, some pretty good treatments for eating disorders, not perfect. They're not going to work for, you know, perfectly for everybody, but cognitive behavioral therapy is definitely an evidence-based treatment for eating disorders. Um, dialectical behavioral therapy does a lot of wonder with eating disorders. Um, there are a few other um, therapies out there that we've shown to see some, some pretty decent efficacy for long-term treatment, you know, long-term recovery from eating disorders and disordered eating as well. The issue that we run up against in eating disorder treatment is that oftentimes our clients present with, um, and your, your listeners might uh, recognize this, with pretty intense levels of shame and self-criticism. They often struggle to take compassion in from others or to offer it to themselves. Those become really significant barriers to taking in all of that great evidence-based treatment. So if we know that there's, there's some pretty good treatment out there, but folks are going to generally struggle to take it in, then it's really incumbent uh, of uh, providers to navigate how do we get folks to, to take this in, to buy in. And so Alsana, we adopted a compassion-focused therapy 
as a way to do that. And compassion-focused therapy was developed by a cognitive behavioral therapist guy, in um, psychologist in the UK, who said, hey, our clients might, or, or folks using CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, might be able to have different thoughts than they originally had, or engage in different behaviors than they originally had, or even best case scenario, feel a little bit better than they did previously. But are they able to do so in a way that is self-compassionate? Or is it a more berating, self-critical, shameful kind of um, process that are engaged in? So for example, um, I am not great at remembering to pick up dry cleaning. I'm just not good at it. It's one of those adulting things that I've just never done a good job with. Leave it there for too long. It's not good. So put a system in place, put my, you know, put a little notice in my phone to say, remember Saturday morning, pick up the dry cleaning because they're closed on Sundays. I have bypassed that message to myself many, many times. Um, And so one option would be to say, oh my God, Heather, you can't get this straight for the life of you. Grow up, pick up your damn dry cleaning, be an adult and, you know, do what you need to do. Preposterous. You can't do this. You're a fully functioning human. So that's one way to self-correct. I'm sure we all know that voice. (laughs) Um, Another way to self-correct would be to say, hey. You have really busy Saturdays. There's a lot going on. Picking up your dry cleaning is not going to be your most enjoyable thing to do. And you typically tend to procrastinate on that. What's another way that we can make it a point to go pick up your damn dry cleaning, right? So same impact in that it's getting me to pick up the dry cleaning, not slack on this, make sure I'm ready for my next work trip or whatever I'm doing, but in a much different way. And so we want for our clients, and it's sort of a silly example, but we want for our clients to be able to self-correct, but in a way that's going to feel more compassionate and more soothing um, than than maybe they would have previously. And so that's a little bit, I mean, compassion focused therapy, I could do a whole, I actually did a whole presentation this morning on it, um, but that's sort of the gist of what we're aiming for along with some of the more evidence-based practices, uh, traditionally evidence-based practices for eating disorders. I love that. I mean, I definitely agree that what I've seen among many of my clients and the women I've worked with over the years and myself is that that shame is <clears throat> super strong and is like a bully, you know, that that inner voice really does continue to beat you down. And it feels absolutely imperative to work on shifting that internal narrative to be way more compassionate and supportive because I know most people don't talk that way to the ones they love. And yet for some reason we justify talking that way to ourselves and it's absolutely not helpful. So making that shift is, you know, it makes sense that that's going to be an important part of their recovery. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious because that is the clinical side. But there's also, you know, you kind of have this adaptive care model, which includes more than just the therapy. Can you speak to sort of the holistic approach that Alsana offers? Yeah. Yeah. Alsana is unique in that we really are focused on five dimensions of treatment, all being equally important with one another. So historically, admittedly, the therapeutic dimension of any company sort of takes the reins, you know, um, which is great for therapists. We get a lot of say in things, but um, it's not really a complete picture. And so what Alsana has done is says, look, you know, the five dimensions of treatment. So in our mind, um, therapy, so therapeutic, medical, relational movement, and nutrition. Those are the five sort of pillars or dimensions of somebody's eating disorder recovery. No one of those is more important than the other. 
And if that's the case, then we ought to be attending to, monitoring, tracking, intervening on all five of those dimensions um, equally and as, as frequently as, um, as sort of in-depth and with much as much fervor and passion as we can. So we, um, this shows up in a myriad of ways. One of the ways is, let's say, through movement. So a lot of treatment programs will uh, restrict clients from engaging in movement, um, and they will sort of have to uh, earn it back, right? Show that they're worthy of moving, moving their bodies. They can be trusted to, to move their bodies. We really flip that around and say, look, all bodies need to be in movement, right? Regardless of their health, size, wellness, condition. We're going to start everybody moving. Some folks will be averse to that, right? They struggle with moving their bodies, whether it be because of physical limitations or because of the, the psychological correlates of moving their bodies. Some clients will have come from an over-exercise standpoint and they will want to move their bodies to an excess. And we're saying, hey, let's, let's learn how to do this in a, let's learn how to move our bodies in a way that is social and affiliative, that is uh, self, uh, self-additive rather than degrading. Uh, in a way that is measured and seen and lacks the the shame and the self-criticism that maybe it previously had, right? And we're really intentional about that, just as intentional as we are about somebody's meal plan or Mm -hmm. somebody's therapeutic work or somebody's engagement in uh, self-acceptance and uh, relationality and connection, right? So all of those have to be sort of stirred into the pot because we are multidimensional humans um, and we need a multidimensional recovery process as well. Yeah, I fully agree. And that's one reason why I loved Alsana when I first learned of you and the work that you guys were doing, because I felt like you were hitting all of the the facets of being a human that are so important. You know, the relational piece is so important and the movement piece is so important. And we can't omit those really on the healing journey. I'm curious how the relational piece shows up in the work that you guys do. Yeah. So it shows up in a few different ways. So some of the more traditional ways in that we're engaging families and supportive others in, in our clients' treatment and involving them. We offer a lot of support services for those folks. The other sort of um, the other sort of characteristic of our relational dimension is to kind of again think really macro, right? We all come from unique cultures, and we all are sort of embedded within those cultures and bring that to the table. It is vitally important that we can acknowledge the influence of our own culture on our way of relating to others and vice versa, right? So we as clinicians will not necessarily share the same culture and often don't as our clients, right? There are some, there's a, you know, there's just such a myriad of of different ways that people have lived their lives and, and what they've come by. So we need to be able to be intentional about connection and relationship even when we come from different cultures and especially to be able to be accountable for uh, what we bring to the table and respecting what other folks bring to the table. So we want to honor our, that our clients are all also returning back to different cultures and different relationships and different social groups. So the relational dimension really helps us anchor into this idea that we're all in relationship with each other at all times. And we have to be accountable for what we bring and also make room for what other folks bring and make sure that we're able to incorporate incorporate that into our relationships with them and into their treatment trajectory. Which sounds so important as well, because if they're coming to residential, 
you're sort of plucking someone out of that environment. And so the going back into that environment and those relationships and that culture, like really being prepared and understanding how that impacts somebody and either developing the tools or a plan to be able to really succeed when you go back into that environment would be an essential piece of maintaining the recovery and healing that somebody's experiencing when they're with you. Absolutely. Yeah. And that even shows up in, you know, in the foods that we serve, you know, we can't, uh, we can't serve a homogenous sort of uh, menu because our clients are going back into homes or communities where a variety of different foods are being served. And so we, um, we really work to help our clients influence the meals that they're, uh, that they're making or that, you know, our chefs are making, get involved with that. Um, and then certainly when our clients are in lower levels of care, we're really encouraging them to, you know, to prepare and consume the, the foods that they're going to be eating when they're in, you know, engaging in relationship with other folks once they get home. Yeah. So let's talk more about the food piece. Cause I know that's usually for people, maybe one of the biggest misconceptions that they may have. And obviously when you have disordered eating, like everything about food could be a trigger or there's fear and there's beliefs and, you know, I think some of the misperceptions are maybe if I go to residential treatment, they're going to control my food or, you know, how that's going to be that experience. And you've already named that, you know, on the exercise side of things, there's this permissioning of like allowing all bodies to move. And so when it comes to how you guys approach food and eating, you know, what is your approach or philosophy that Alsana upholds? Yeah. Yeah. Let me just first validate that this is the scary part, right? Uh, This is the scary part. In fact, I uh, just sort of anecdotally, I've worked in substance abuse recovery and folks are way more protective uh, over addressing their relationship with food than they are even with substances, right? It's like, I'll get sober, but don't mess with my food. There's just something more inherently um, uh, sort of internalized and, and personal about it. So our, our nutrition dimension is characterized by a few different um, sort of concepts, I would say. One is that we really do want to be, in general, for all of our dimensions, but, but this shows up for nutrition deeply. We want to be a soft landing for folks. You know, our clients come to us with so much harshness in their own sort of um, in their souls. You know, they've just been there's just there's just been such a harshness and an edge that we want. Alsana really wants to be a soft landing for our clients. Some of the ways that that shows up in our nutrition dimension, we believe in all inclusive nutrition. Now, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of treatment programs or providers have used the tagline, uh, all foods fit, right? That's sort of a tagline in our industry, or maybe folks have heard it that are listening. And I think the intention there was good. What that kind of has come to sort of represent though, is that there are diet foods and recovery foods. There are, um, foods that one should or uh, ought to be eating in recovery versus foods that maybe are forbidden or that represent some other thing, anti-recovery in some way. And it has it's, it's become to sort of mimic uh, good foods, bad foods. So we really want to step outside of all of that. We really want to say, gosh, you know, we, we really do believe that all foods are neutral. So that means you want to eat cauliflower cross pizza? Eat cauliflower cross pizza. That's okay. All the restaurants have it out here in LA. You want to, you know, go for it. Also have a bread roll or have a dessert. That's, you know, 
let's, let's normalize all foods. You want an acai bowl, have an acai bowl. It doesn't mean that just because it's considered a health food, it's a anti-recovery food. Now we also believe in Oreos and we believe in broccoli and we believe, you know, we believe in all of the foods and we, you know, I always sort of joke, like I have pretty constantly some level of like a hundred calorie pack of food in my, in my house. I'm not, I don't have disordered eating. Like I am a very normal eater. And yet this is how Target sells snacks sometimes and they're easy to go, right? So for our clients, I think for us to say, well, because you're in an eating disorder recovery, you can't have this, that, and the other food. It does then sort of lead one to believe that there are good foods and bad foods. Our clients who need uh, weight restoration for their health and long-term recovery are absolutely encouraged and supported in doing so. Right. So we still believe in weight restoration as being such a fundamental piece for folks who need it. Uh, we still believe that atypical anorexia exists, you know, just because somebody's in a larger body doesn't mean that they get to restrict. Um, so we, we believe in all of those things, of course, that, that, that um, uh, food needs to be democratized, though, and that food needs to be neutralized. So that's, that's a pretty significant aspect of our recover, our nutrition dimension. We are able to take vegan clients because we believe that vegan folks can recover. Um, there's just a lot of grace, I think, and latitude for understanding that there are many, many paths to eating disorder recovery. I can feel so many people taking a sigh of relief listening to, to you explain that because, you know, to me, that is just the balanced approach, which is that all foods are neutral and we don't need to label or condemn any foods or or put any foods on you know this pedestal as the healthy gold standard and if we're not eating that way then we're you know humanly flawed or not good enough so to be able to sort of just erase all of that energy and conditioning around foods and help people really begin to feel comfortable eating what they like or you know learning how to nourish themselves in new ways is abs- you know such an important piece of of this healing journey. Yeah, it just it has to it has to be the direction this field moves in. We have to be more inclusive. We have to be more open minded and question. Gosh, are we are we carrying on these traditions in treatment because they make sense and they're they're scientifically sound, or are we carrying them on because that's just what we were taught as new clinicians? And so I feel really, really passionate and invested in being curious and and using new science, new research and new uh, observations, you know, about how our clients are changing over time to inform best practices. It's really important to me and to our hospitals on them. I love that. Love that so much. And you mentioned, you know, a few of the types of eating disorders that you would support. And I'd love if you can elaborate for people who are wondering, you know, is this potentially a place that's right for me? You know, I know that you guys work with a sort of a spectrum of eating disorders, but what's and who specifically do you support? Yeah. So Alzana treats uh, adults only, uh, but we treat individuals of all genders and ages above 18. We treat individuals st- suffering from uh, binge eating disorder, atypical anorexia, anorexia, bulimia, um, ARFID, which is a, um, I'd say more anxiety or neurodiverse kind of eating disorder. Um, and sort of that other wastebasket category of eating disorders called OSFED, that's a, an acronym. Um, and so essentially 
what's sort of the litmus test for folks that Alsana serves is, gosh, is your relationship with your food or body keeping you from living the life that you want to be living? If, if it is, even if it's, even if you're able to check all the boxes, like we kind of alluded to earlier in life in the um, uh, recording that even if you're able to check the boxes, are you doing it in a way that feels con- congruent with your values, with the relationships that you want, with the self-identity that you want? Those are the kinds of folks that we help. So we have various levels of care. We kind of talked about a little bit earlier, but we offer residential treatment. Um, so where folks are um, staying at our uh, recovery homes in order to do the work, the, the therapeutic and nutrition, all of that medical, all of that work that they need to do in order to recover. We also offer day treatment uh, where folks are coming for six or seven hours a day and then intensive outpatient, which is like three hours a day, a few days a week. And I think it's important probably for listeners to understand there, there are two different types of residential treatment programs and um, there's no one that's better than the other. Um, but it, just depending on what somebody needs and, and where they feel comfortable, there are residential treatment programs that are more clinically based. So they look more like a hospital. Um, they typically are in medical buildings uh, or office buildings, and um, they have a uh, maybe a more medical sort of slant to them. There are other residential facilities, Alsana being one of them, that are um, that are built out of homes, right? So they, when you walk in, it, it looks like a regular home, um, but it's outfitted with all of the things that one would need in order to get the support that they need for their recovery. So nursing staff, um, a chef, typically, um, you know, uh, bedrooms, privacy, therapy rooms, that kind of thing. It's a nice, it's a home environment, which can feel really nice to some folks. Um, again, not a fit for everybody, but that home-like environment, Alsana believes, um, really helps to dial down some of the intensity of the work from a um, environmental perspective and helps just for a more sort of comfortable experience while in treatment. Yeah, it sounds just a little bit more cozy and warm and maybe a place that you can settle into without being as nervous or on edge. If somebody was coming into the more medical setting, I can see how that might, you know, be oh, a little a little intense at times. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love our facilities. They're decorated beautifully. They're soft colors and warm, uh, warm tones and textures and fabrics. And uh, if, you know, uh, if anybody wants to go to our website, they can see images of, of what these uh, facilities look like. They're really beautiful and, and really intentionally laid out and decorated for, um, for that sort of, um, sort of uh, soft landing that we talked about earlier. And the length of time that people could expect to be there for, I'm assuming ranges, but in general, what is the length look like? Yeah. So folks who are choosing to go into a residential treatment program for eating disorders should expect to be there for probably about four to five weeks, typically around five weeks, sometimes, you know, uh, longer, sometimes shorter. The reason that we want to do that is, is several fold, right? To, to set aside a month or so to be able to do this. One is because it takes a while to get comfortable and to trust your environment and to sort of get the flow of things and to, um, you know, sort of uh, allow for feelings and, and um, experiences to sort of surface when one is not using their eating disorder behaviors to tamp that all down. Um, another is because we really want to get into the habit of being able to take care of our bodies, right? So whether it's meal plan, um, 
experience, it's sleep hygiene, it's, you know, detoxing from some social media and that sort of plugged in uh, nature of, of folks these days. And so a whole host of different reasons. And then we really recommend that clients step down from residential treatment programs into day treatment, um, either, um, you know, either in person, there are some virtual programs, uh, also under just offer virtual uh, PHP as well. But it's really important that that continuity exists so that there's an inc- a slightly increasing um, amount of responsibility and um, sort of autonomy in, in growing one's own recovery, that it doesn't happen overnight. You're not going from residential treatment back into your day-to-day life routines, but you have the opportunity to step down and then from a day treatment program into an intensive outpatient program, again, virtual or in-person, uh, Asana offers both. And to be able to, to take that on gradually in a really, again, self-compassionate way, not to sort of uh, go with that instinct that a lot of eating disorder clients have, which is to just like, you know, tough it out or white knuckle it or just, you know, uh, sort of power through. And, and to do in a slower fashion. Yeah, slowing down is always helpful <laughs> and pacing sort of the the speed at which we're trying to quote unquote fix ourselves, you know, it, and this does take time, you know, especially if people have been struggling for years and years and years. I'm sure many of the people who come to you, it has for some been a lifelong struggle. And so, you know, to on average say for, you know, four to five weeks in the grand scheme of how long you've been struggling is really a very small amount of time that could potentially, you know, change your life. So it really can be worth it to, to carve out the time to, you know, participate in something like that. In terms of misperceptions that people may have, I'm sure you encounter many, and I'm curious what some of the most common ones are that might keep people judging, you know, Alsana and and the treatment programs or just keep them from ever even considering it as something that would be right for them. Yeah. Gosh, I think there's a lot. I think folks generally will, will um, believe that they don't have, or they won't have the support that they will need in order to kind of check out of life for a month or so. Um, we have found amazing, amazing support for our clients from all kinds of places um, when they've needed to say, hey, I got to I gotta skip town to go take care of myself for a little bit. I'll be back. Um, so I think, you know, allowing for other people to support us is can, it can be hard for all of us. But I think by and large, our clients have found that when they when they do tap into their support systems, that their support systems are able to show up for them and really hold things down so they can go take care of themselves. Um, Another, I think, is that, you know, the experience of being at a residential facility will feel um, like confined or um, it will feel like one one is trapped or, you know, sort of that that sort of um, general feel. And, you know, gosh, at at Alsana facilities, we have beautiful yards and um, lots of windows in our homes. We have... uh, (laughs) <laughs> many of our facilities are decorated beautifully with West Elm furniture, you know, like really beautiful. It's like stepping into a resort, not exactly. a prison. <laughs> so, you know, just the feel of, of these, uh, of these homes is just really warm and friendly. Um, 
autonomy is not taken, you know, uh, there's, there's a freedom folks can obviously leave whenever they want. If they, if they say, gosh, this is just not for me, it's just not the right time. I'm not ready. Um, so I think that's, they're not going to be locked up. Nobody's going to, yeah, it's like, (laughs) I'm going to be trapped forever and they're going to have me behind bars. It's like, not at all what this is like. Not at all. No, no, not at all. Um, we are all voluntary facilities and, and homes, and we want to uh, we want to help clients, you know, kind of walk through the discomfort with them. Um, and I would say the other thing is around food. You know, we're not standing over people demanding that they eat food. We serve food. It's beautiful food. If you're if you don't follow us on social media, you should because you can see all the beautiful meals that our clients and chefs put together. But you know, we, again, we want to be a soft landing. And so there's nothing that's going to be punitive or shaming around somebody's interaction with food, whether they are struggling with restricting or binge eating or any, you know, any of the myriad of symptoms that our clients show up with. It's just, it's a non-shaming environment and it's an environment where, where we get it, you know, our staff get it, our clients get it. Um, This is an environment that is pro-recovery um, we have an agenda, but it is um, not at the sacrifice, not at the um, detriment of of making somebody feel othered or less than. Those are just not. We're not going there. Yeah, and I mean, I really appreciate because historically, mental health conditions were viewed as you're crazy, and people would get locked up. You know, and so I think sometimes people have these fears that stem from what at one point in time was reality in terms of how we as a society approached mental health, but we've really evolved just leaps and bounds. And you're really highlighting the total transformation that's happening in the mental health field. How now it's like, I mean, I feel it as you talk, like you care so much about helping people and, you know, Alsana is an environment where it's safe and it's warm and it's welcoming and there's freedom and permission and compassion. And it's like, oh, yeah, that is what healing is supposed to look and feel like. And I'm so grateful that we have centers like yours that are really prioritizing not only creating that space, but also continuing to evolve how you offer the treatment so that you're not just replicating what's been done historically, but you're continuing to advance the field. And that's a really important responsibility that I think we have as mental health professionals. Great. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah. Thank you. It's just like, I want, you know, any person who's really been struggling and feeling like they need more support, you know, to, to not be afraid to at least reach out to Alsana if this conversation is really speaking to them and at the very least, you know, have a conversation with your team. And so how would people, you know, move forward with learning if they are a good fit or, you know, if this might be a space that's right for them? Yeah. Give us a call. Um, I'll include their, their yeah. contact information in the show notes. So people can just, you know, click the, click the link to do that. Perfect. Yeah. There's a self-assessment on our website. There's a chat function feature. If that feels more comfortable than a, than a phone call, we really want folks to be able to engage with us in the way that, that they feel most comfortable. Um, we have a social media presence. If you just want to see some images or some testimonies of, you know, other folks that have gone through the, our treatment programs, um, but yeah, go to our website first and foremost. Um, our phone number is there too. And thanks, sir. You can put in the notes. Give us a call. We can talk to you about, you know, your specific needs and um, what are some of the challenges that you're facing and, you know, and talk about, gosh, you know, if we're going to be of service to you, then, then let's talk about how, 
And if, if you're not the right fit for us, or, you know, that it's just not the, um, the right time for you, then we can talk about that. And that's okay too. But we want to be in relationship with folks who are struggling so that when the time comes that folks are ready, if that time comes, then, then they have all of the options in front of them. They know what they're uh, to expect. And um, we can be really clear about sort of the services that we offer. Right. And, you know, you're very inclusive. So if somebody's thinking, oh, I, you know, given how they identify in terms of sexual orientation or being a, you know, diverse community, I'm, I'm sort of speaking for you, but I'm curious and assuming that this is a space that's inclusive for any being and body to be. Yeah, that's been at the foundation of Alsana since our, our sort of, uh, inception that we, we really believe in recovery for everybody. And we educate ourselves uh, tirelessly on how best to show up for the widest variety of humans that we possibly can. We're not perfect, right? And just like we talked about earlier, we, we all come with our own cultural identities, um, but it's really, really at our core, uh, one of our core values is to be an inclusive environment. And so we're constantly learning and constantly challenging ourselves to think more about, you know, gosh, what does it feel like to be uh, coming to Alsana from this particular life experience or from this particular belief system or to celebrate these particular holidays? And, you know, these are endless questions that we need to be asking ourselves and that we do. Right. So when I'm saying any person, any anybody who feels called for support, you know, you you really truly are welcome to reach out and and are invited into that space or at least that conversation. And I can also feel people who right now are saying, oh, well, I wouldn't be able to afford it, you know, that that can be a barrier to also reaching out. And so in terms of, uh, you know, affordability or using insurance, what does that piece look like? Yeah. So y'all don't need to be insurance experts to navigate. We, we do that. Um, so give us a call. We'll take down your insurance information. We can run it right on the spot to see exactly what you'll be accountable for in terms of finances, what your insurance will cover. If you don't have insurance, um, we can talk about what options there are available. Um, I also want to give out a, a shout out to Project Heal. Uh, Project Heal is a really amazing organization that uh, that Elsana does a lot of work with and um, has a great relationship with. Uh, Which I I did a podcast oh. episode with Project Heal, oh so, God, so you guys episode. can go back in the archives and listen about Project Heal and how they will support you through many ways and being able to attend a place like Elsana. Excellent. Good cross cross branding there. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah. So there are other organizations like Project Heal too that that can help. But yeah, give us a call. We'll we'll walk you through the insurance part. You don't need to be an expert. We'll we'll help you navigate all that. Yeah. Amazing. Is there anything else on your heart that you would want anyone listening to to know or take away? Yeah, I think I just I imagine. I imagine the folks that are listening to this and who might be drawn to, to listening to, to a conversation like this. And I, I would imagine that there is a streak of curiosity in these folks, um, that there is some level of contemplation. Like, can I, can I think about potentially living a different kind of life? And I just in, in, you know, so many years of working in this field, I've, I've seen folks transform their lives and their bodies and themselves and seen people recover with my own eyes and folks that thought that they couldn't or wouldn't, or that had very nonlinear paths to get there. 
Um, and I just, I, I want everybody to know, I have all people believe in recovery. I've seen it happen. I've walked with folks through those, uh, through those really, really dark valleys and, and high highs. And I, I want for everybody to know that even when they can't hold hope for themselves, there are clinicians like myself, like you, Sarah, that hold hope for them um, because we know. Yeah, we do. We know it's possible, which is why it's so empowering and powerful when you can, to me, show up in a space where somebody holds that knowing for you when you don't believe it yourself. And I know when I was, you know, kind of at the rock bottom with my own eating disorder, I had sort of just accepted like, well, this is just going to be like the rest of my life. I'm just going to have to learn how to live with this because it just felt impossible for it to ever, ever change. And yet here I am, you know, totally a believer now and knowing with every cell of my body that's possible. And I know you know the same. And so for those people who just can't imagine or have really given up on themselves or any possibility of things improving, like, you know, this is the send off message of hope that isn't some propaganda and fluff, you know, it's, it's based in truth and what we've witnessed and what we've experienced. So, you know, I love leaving off on, on that message. Thank you so much for this conversation, Sarah, and, and all that you're doing to promote wellness and mental health. It's just a remarkable contribution. Thank you. Yeah, it was so wonderful having you. I'm really happy that I got to showcase Alsana because I believe in this program. And I hope that you know people are able to overcome their own fears and, and make that connection with you guys if they really need it. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Empowered Eating and Living Podcast. If you liked today's episode, make sure to follow the show so you don't miss future episodes. And if you loved it, then please share this episode on your social media or send it to loved ones who may benefit from listening too. 